0: What a time. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there or scroll there. No shame. It's kind of toward the back of your Bibles in the New Testament. No shame in using the table of contents. That's all good. Uh, We're walking through Ephesians together. Let me say, I hesitate to uh, give any thank yous because so many people have given so much this week. But to the staff, especially Redemption City staff, thank you guys. Jeffrey, Shaylee, Caleb, Courtney Fox, wherever you are. And, uh, and also to our wives, okay, you, you guys have given us up for a week, so thank you. And kids, okay, thank you. So uh, thank you, staff, and to Corey Jackson specifically, Corey, he does all of our AVL. Uh, thank your wife from us as well for giving you to us for the week. Uh, I love you, bro. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, if you've missed the last couple of weeks... Is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, some churches in Ephesus, and so he's encouraging them, and he's giving them some theology, and then we're going to learn how to live it out. And so let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 together. That's our text for the day. And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived, all of us, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Somebody say, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved you and you and you and you, even when you were dead in your sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him. In the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus, verse 7, so that for the purpose of in the coming ages of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We'll try that again later. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It's the free gift of God, not a result of your works, so that nobody can boast for you're his masterpiece, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The first observation that we can see just out of the gate here, verses 1 through 3, I was dead. Not I was in bad shape. Not it was kind of dicey. I was dead as a doornail, okay? It says, look at the strong words that he used in verses 1 through 3. Again, you were dead. You were following Satan. Yeah, you. We're naming this series uh, The Best News in the World, Okay, and a tiny bit of bad news. A really good news and a tiny bit of bad news. That's the bad news, okay? You were dead because of your sin. You were following Satan. And really important to understand this, Paul says that you were following the course of this world. So think of the world, that the culture, as this flowing river, okay, with a strong undercurrent, huge flowing river, and everything kind of gets carried downstream as you get caught into the world, right? It's, that's the course of this world is how everybody thinks so everybody acts, this is what they do, and it seems normal because kind of everybody's doing it, right? This is where the majority is going. That's the course of this world. But, you know, morality is not determined by the majority. Okay, okay. I can do that today now, so I, I just might do it again. So, in fact, that entire river, that torrent is heading toward destruction and devastation. That's its only end. So what he's saying is we're all born in that river. He says that. We're all headed downstream, but for those of us who come to know God... I'm just going to be honest with you, we go upstream and it's marked by this tough swim upstream against the current of culture. Everybody felt that? Man, it's tough. It's harder to celebrate 50 years of fidelity to your spouse than to cheat on your spouse, right? It's it's way easier to give up on your kids and to persevere with your kids. And the parents of teenagers said amen. It's easier to spend all your money on yourself than to Be generous and give your money away and bless people around you. It's way easier just to stay like you are than to repent, turn around, and follow God. But all of those temporarily easier paths all end in sadness. I promise you. The course of this world promises you satisfaction. The big lie is follow your heart, live your truth, and you'll be at peace. If you'll just do what you want, if you'll find really what's inside and live that out, it's all going to be gravy. It's all going to be great. But you ever met a guy who's like, whew, I have had enough sex. I'm good. I don't, you ever miss somebody who's like, I've got enough money, I don't need another dollar, I don't need another thing, I'm good to go, I don't need anything else. No, you can try everything that the course of this world promises you will fulfill you, but nothing will except for Jesus. Nothing will. You'll get to the end of every rainbow and be like, where's the goal? I thought that there was something else at the end of all of this that I'm chasing. Verse 3 says that you were living out the sins that are naturally in your heart. Okay, You were carrying out the desires of your body and your mind, which the world celebrates, right? The world tells you to carry out your desires. You do you, follow your heart, follow your truth, do what makes you happy. But Ephesians 2, 3 says that is exactly opposite. That is exactly opposite of the real truth toward freedom and peace. And you might think that God's trying to rip you off, but he's actually trying to set you free. That sin that you're chasing, like even, so this past Sunday night, Me and some buddies, we're doing our fantasy football draft, and it's called fantasy, but there's nothing more real out there. I promise you that, okay? I'm a manager of a franchise, okay? And we're having a ball, right? And so as we're picking our, our, you know, fantasy teams, our make-believe, you know, teams, while we're having a ball, having a good time, somebody out there was plotting to steal our stuff. While we were having a ball, I was oblivious to somebody was literally making a plan. I'll tell you when I'm not being recorded. They were making a plan of how they were going to rip us off, okay? And rest assured that the devil and his team are plotting against you right now. He is plotting to keep you in that course or get you back into that course of this world. You know how in movies, like at the end of movie. They've been fighting the whole time. And finally, it's, it's the good guy versus the big bad guy, and they're going to do it. Like, everybody's kind of fighting them around fighting around them, and they're going to face off one-on-one. And, like, the bad guy has a sword, and there's one next to him, but the good guy doesn't have a sword. And the, good guy, the bad guy's like, you know, let's, he wants a fair fight. So he, he, gives the bad, he gives the good guy his sword so they can have a real battle. Yes, yeah, Satan does not do that. Satan is not like, ah, oh, you know what, you're tired. I'm going to come back later. Oh, you had a bad day in your marriage? I'll tempt you later. I want a fair fight. No, 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 no. Okay, he's plotting, he's strategic, and he fights dirty. And he's doing whatever it takes to keep you in the course of this world. But I have good news for you this morning. Look at verses 4 and 5. But God, somebody say but God to your neighbor. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our sin. He made us alive together. It's by grace that you've been saved. The second observation that we see in the text, first was I am dead. Now it's, but God made us alive. Man, I was lost without a way, following Satan himself and the course of this world. But God saved me. I look around this room and I think about how God has saved us. I think about the different stories. I look at my, my man, Chaz or Ray Jackson, one of my best buds in the whole world. Chaz was lost. Y'all wouldn't know B.C. Chaz, Right? He found his identity in football, he was a college football player, and then all that went away, and he tried to find his identity in so many other places, drinking too much, doing all these different things that you wouldn't even, again, recognize today. But God, who is rich in mercy, rewrote Chaz's story. I look at Jeffrey, who was baptized this morning, three weeks ago, he thought he was coming to work out. <laughs> he moved to Fort Worth a couple of months ago, didn't, you know, from Corpus, and he thought he was just coming to stay with his sister, do some different things, but God who is rich in mercy, rewrote Jeffrey's story. I think in my own life, man, I grew up in church, ran from God, man. I'm telling you, you wouldn't recognize B.C. Matt, okay? Ran from God. I decided God wasn't real, agnostic for about eight to ten years. The timeline's hairy, okay? But God, who is rich in mercy, saw fit to be patient with me. And he saved me by his grace. You were going the wrong way. You were lost. You were helpless, but God changed all of that. Your parents ever say to you no means no? I said this a thousand times. No means no. Okay, what, what Jesus is saying through this text is done means done. I don't need anything from you. Done means done. I, I, I'm really paying all the bill, okay? He's saying in verse 4 that our God is, verse 4 says that God is rich in mercy. Circle that phrase, man. His, bank, his mercy bank account is not running low. He does not need any collateral from you, okay? He's not going to overdraft when you mess up later today. Okay, when the cowboy's O-line messes up and you say that at the TV, he's not going to overdraft tonight. Okay, that's not going to happen. This is the year. Okay. We even saw in Ephesians 1.14 a couple of weeks ago that God the Father has already given God the Spirit as a down payment for your inheritance. It's done. Your salvation is secure. At the beginning of uh, verse 5, Paul says, Even when we were dead. Even then. So I want you to hear Paul's inflection here. So, you know, I got three kids. uh, Two of them are over here. My little buddy Judah, he's four. He's up top. And he's just the sweetest kid. If you know him, you love him. He's a total sweet. You can't say his R's yet. He's the sweetest kid in the world. Okay. And he rarely, to be honest with you, he doesn't really do much wrong. I mean, I really don't have to get onto him that much. Who in here knows the baby doesn't do much wrong? Amen. Okay. So... You know, but sometimes he does, sometimes he messes up, and I, and I have to get onto him. Okay, so what I'll often do, he's about this tall. So I'll get on one knee. I'll take both of his hands. And even though I'm delivering bad news, I, what I really want him to know is that I love him. Right? And so this is what Paul's doing here. He gets on one knee. He takes his by the hand, and he goes, hey, buddy, you were dead. He, you were lost in the course of this world, but God saved you when you did not deserve it, and you could never earn it. Okay? Now, I just... <laughs> I've heard that message my whole life, and I can't get over it, you know? I know who I was and who I am today and how patient God has been and is being with me. And I wanted you to notice here a really important note. So people oftentimes ask me or ask pastors about security of your salvation, like, can I lose my salvation? It's a very common question because it really kind of feels like, because it is kind of too good to be true. So it's like, okay, I messed up again and again and again and again. Can I out my salvation? Here's the headline, no, it's good news, okay? Again, notice the wording in verse 5 and verse 8. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our sins, God made it possible for you to climb the mountain to him. No. God made us alive. God did it. You didn't make you alive. Verse 8 says, it's by grace you've been saved, not your effort. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to keep it, okay? It's a free gift from God, and not like those free gifts that my wife sometimes falls for. Ladies, let me just talk to you for a second. If you have to pay $50 for a free gift, that was not free. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. Okay. That was not free. But that's how the world does free. It's full of gimmicks. It's full of all kinds of things like that. But God really does free all the way, okay? God's gift is actually free. You know, we don't come in here and sing, Jyra, you're almost enough. No. You're, you're more than enough. You're more than we could even ask for or need. Verse 9 completes the thought. It says that our relationship with God is not a result of work so that we can't even post, we can't even brag about us being saved. He made it completely free. And I want you to think about it for just a second. Okay, wrap your head around the truth. Even if God made our salvation 90% off, pretty good deal. I'll buy pretty much anything. Even if I don't need it. 90% off, I'll go ahead and take care of it, okay? But God made our salvation 90% off. Well, still, we wouldn't miss the mark. I'm not 10% perfect. Okay, But let's say he made it 95% off, almost entirely free. Well, then it's not love. If it's not a free gift and we got to earn it even a little bit, it's not love from us to him or him to us. If you earn your relationship with God at all, it's not love. If you earn it at all, it becomes about your goodness and your righteousness and not about the king of kings. right? But since God made the gift of salvation completely free, made it all about his work, you can really enjoy it and you can really live in freedom. Uh, and, and you can't ever unearn it, right? Because you didn't earn it in the first place. We'll Go back to verse six. As a Christ follower, you're not just saved, it says you're seated with him. Romans 8:17 says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Okay, he didn't just raise us up to be servants in the house. And that, that would be better than what if, what would have happened otherwise. We're not just some forgotten worker in the fields, okay? No, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. It's not like you're on the outside of God's house and kind of looking in as him and his kids have dinner. No, you're in the house. You're the child of the king. You're his iPhone background. Your picture's in his wallet. That's your place in God's kingdom. Let's finish up with verses 7 through 10. Verse 7 says, so that, okay, well, let me, so before I get into 7 to 10, so the apostle Paul so all of these verses, 10 verses, are two sentences in the original language. It's been making seminary students fail tests for thousands of years, okay? So, two, so it's, these, it's this complicated, you know, kind of thought. Well, we've got to work, right? we got to, each of us, to the, to the man and to the woman in here, have to work to have right word usage and really work to understand God's word rightly. Because similar words, you know, so my, <laughs> my dad called me a couple weeks ago, and it kind of rang once, and it, so I called him back. and go, hey, did you mean, he goes, no, sorry. Uh, I booty called you. I go, nope. You butt dialed me. Those are two very different things. Kids, tell your parents, okay. You did not booty call me, Dad. You butt dialed me, okay. So we have to work to get into the text and really understand. So anytime the Apostle Paul, (laughs) true story, the Apostle Paul uh, says, so that, I want you to look for it as you read the scriptures. Whenever you see the Apostle Paul in the, the letters that he wrote, the, the writings of his in the New Testament, whenever he says, so that, that's his way of pushing everything he has said toward his point. Okay? So what does he said? You were dead. You were following the course of this world, but God made us alive, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show you The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He did all this so that he would show you his immeasurable kindness, his riches, his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the free gift of God, not a result of your work, so that nobody can boast. For we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared so that we could walk in them. He didn't save you to, to make you stop having fun on the weekends. You know, he didn't save you to take your money. Okay, God saved you so that you could actually begin to enjoy your life. You could actually begin to walk in freedom that the world is promising you but will never deliver for you. God wants to show you these immeasurable riches. Okay, verse 9 again finishes the thought. It says that it's free. It's a result of not your works but so that you can't even boast. And so sometimes we see that phrase, so that no one can boast, and we're like, I don't know who that's for. Uh, the, the prideful people. That, that, that's not for me. That's like for the prideful people. So they can because they would boast about it if they could. Okay, but no, actually, he's driving home the point. It's for all of our benefit. Okay, not for some folks who, to put him in their place. Because you ever you ever kind of feel like you're constantly stating your case in life, like you're proving your worth and you're showing everybody around you that you really deserve kind of where you are. And we're coming up on Christmas. Once football starts, Christmas season, it doesn't begin yet, but the countdown is on. Okay, Christmas starts after Thanksgiving. We're Christians, okay? So, as we approach Christmas, even poor Rudolph had to prove himself. Okay, they used to laugh, call him names, okay? And then, one night, they actually needed him, so he proved himself, and then all the reindeer loved him, right? And that's what every other religion practices. Work to prove yourself, and then maybe we'll see. Every other religion across the world, work. Do your best, pray five times a day, do this, do that, and maybe we'll be cool but that's not our God. Not our one true God. He says, I'm going to make it so free that you can't even brag about anything that you did. Because I can't. You can't be good enough. I cannot be my own Savior. I need a Savior. Has there ever been a point in your life where you've bowed your knee to Jesus? Where you've turned from your way and the course of this world and gone with Jesus? Has that ever happened in your life? That Point, where you've gone from following your way to following the way, the truth, and the life. Because there's two options to choose from, work or grace. That's it. Two options in the universe. Which do you choose? You going to keep trying to be your own savior or let Jesus be your savior? Just Jesus take the will, as my girl Carrie said. You can change courses today by God's grace. Your shoulders can relax from the exhaustion that you're experiencing that Jesus talks about in Matthew 11 to soul rest where you give your life to Jesus. And he takes it from there. Look again at verse 10. It says that for we are his workmanship. Literally again that is masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for not by good works which God prepared for us that we should walk in. The third observation That we see from the text today is, I am his workmanship. Can you all say that with me? I am his workmanship. The idea is that he's writing a poem, that he's painting a portrait. So what the Sistine Chapel is to Michelangelo, you are to God. What the Mona Lisa is to Leonardo da Vinci, you are to God. His masterpiece, his workmanship, that means he's working on you, by the way. He's still painting the portrait of your life, writing that poem. When we once walked in sin, we now walk in good works that he prepared for us. And guess who enjoys their life more? The person who's selfish or the person who's generous? The the person who walks with God or the person who follows the course of this world? We only find what we're looking for in Jesus. Search the world, and it couldn't fill me. Only in Jesus can we find it. A lady named Elizabeth Henson, she was a... cleaning out closets one winter, and she saw this old green jacket. She's like, I'm going to throw this away. That's not, uh, you know, I'm just going to... But she, her, her little boy said, hey, Mom, don't throw that. I, I, I think I want to make something out of that. I brought a picture. Her little boy was Jim Henson, and he made the first version of Kermit the Frog, okay? About to, about to be this old, worn-out green jacket. He saw his masterpiece in the making. Now, master, it is a masterpiece, by the way. Set, you know, Kermit, 70 years old, still making movies and memes, still sipping tea, okay? He's got it. Okay, he's still going. My kids still watch these movies, so... God sees that old worn-out jacket the world wants to throw away, but he sees a poem that he's writing. You know, he, he sees his workmanship. When we look in the mirror, man, we don't see what God sees. We look in the mirror, we go, I'm such a failure. Uh, I, I knew I wouldn't measure up like my dad. My dad said I wouldn't in here. I'm, I'm, I'm a failure. I'm fat. I'm not enough. What am I doing? The world says, shame on you for what you've did." Or your past, but Jesus wants to take that shame off of you and nail it to the cross for you. He wants to take your sin, take your shame, put it on Himself and off of you. That's what He's offering you today, whether you're outside of the faith or in the faith. That's His offer to you this morning. The world will cancel you, man. They will. But just because you made a mistake does not mean you are a mistake. That's not what that means. Whether you, you know, what you might see in your life is an old, worn out jacket, Jesus sees as a masterpiece. The first line of a poem that he's writing, rewriting your story. Somebody he wants a relationship with. Somebody that he formed intricately and purposely in your mom's womb. You know, Jesus said that his eye is on the sparrow. The sparrow is the most common bird in, the, in world history. But it, our God's eye is on each sparrow. He does, not, he does not, nothing goes out of his sight. He sees you. There's even a couple of verses I wanted to call your attention to that Jesus said in the scriptures. Matthew 10 Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them, not one is forgotten by God. Some people even think that this is like a mistake that, you know, but it's easily explained. So, you know, you get two sparrows for one, but if you give two pennies, you get five. So you get a free one. Okay, so one for two or two for five. Do you get it? Okay, in the market? Okay. Okay. The people of that day would have easily understood what Jesus was saying. If you give two pennies, they toss a sparrow in there. Meaningless sparrow, just toss it in. But Jesus says nothing. Not even one sparrow escapes my eye. Some of you are going through it. And it feels like I'm just that sparrow that's that's tossed in. I don't mean anything. I don't know where my life is headed. I don't know where my life has been. But Jesus says, you're my masterpiece. You're my workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I love you. I want you come home.